Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be diving into this series called Fearless. And uh, much like the song was saying here, how do we face the daily struggles? How do we face the grind? How do we face even the challenges that begin to make us uh, wrestle with some of where we're at in our faith and our belief? Lord, may we take a strong stand for you. May we stand fearlessly for you. And uh, how does that go? How does that work? How do we get to that spot? And so we're working through 2 Corinthians chapters 4 through 7, where it gives just a ton of different um, mindset and understandings that we need to have if we are going to live fearlessly for our Savior. Today, we're actually looking at what does it mean to live for Christ, to live for Christ. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. And uh, first point, value what is in the heart, not the exterior. Value what is in the heart, not the exterior. And uh, he starts out here, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience he starts out, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, right, always read actively as you're reading through your scripture, and these words are purposeful, and so this word is a connecting word, therefore, and so what's it connecting to? It looks back into the prior section, and it's actually looking right to that last verse there. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about this last week. If you want a little more detail on it, you can check into last week's sermon. But we talked about what it means for believers to stand before Christ and him to be kind of reviewing the works. And there are rewards and there are re, uh, rewards that are lost. Okay? That is true. And uh, here's what doesn't happen standing before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. Our salvation is never in question. And all of God's people said... Right, that's a huge deal, and our salvation is secure in him, but rewards, well, those can be burned up if we decided to make it all about ourselves along the way. If we had the, hey, look at me, am I not awesome plan, uh, those tend to not go real well, right? And he's like, be careful, we do stand before Christ, and there will be a judgment, and we will give account for the good and the evil. So he says, therefore, like because of that truth, knowing the fear of the Lord, and uh, this word here, fear, it doesn't mean necessarily just shaking and trembling like I'm afraid, I don't know which way he's going to go, he's untrustworthy, but there's this depth of understanding of the greatness of Jesus Christ, there is a reverence and an awe of him, and yes, a full-out respect for his position and his authority. And so fear meaning, I get who you are, and I get I'm not worthy, and I get I stand before you in need, and you are awesome, and I am not. And uh, knowing the fear of the Lord, man, there's a few things you have to grasp if you're going to have a real healthy fear of the Lord. I just wrote a few words down here, five, really. Uh, five things we need to grasp if we're going to grasp the fear of the Lord. Number one, you have to grasp his authority. He is in charge. God Almighty in charge in this world, in the universe. What he says goes, that's the end of it. Grasp his authority. And uh, Number two, we'll have to grasp his love. 
Man, it's easy to see something or someone as super in charge, but then we usually dismiss away their compassion and their tenderness and their gentleness. He loves you. Grasp his love. That combination of ultimately in charge and completely loving, that's what brings the respect and the awe. Man, grasping him. Grasp his authority, grasp his love, grasp his call to holiness. That's number three. Grasp his call to holiness. Man, understand that he is calling us to be changed by him and to be moved along a path and that we are to be executing out some things that make much of him. Grasp that he does give us a call to holiness. His plan is not, hey, go do whatever you want. He's like, hey, I've got some things for you, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, right? Grasp his call to holiness. Number four, grasp his role in your transformation. Grasp his role in your transformation. Hear me on this one. When you are called to change, when you are called to have things different in your life, he's not like, and good luck with that, right? He's like, I am here with you, and I am going to pour it into your life, and my power will change you one degree of glory at a time, and the Holy Spirit's glory pouring on brings us hope. Man, he doesn't call us to the impossible, but he does call us to the supernatural. It's something we can't get done on our own, but he does get it done, and uh, grasp this, his authority his love, his call to holiness, his role in your transformation, and number five, grasp his role as judge. And that's a huge deal. And if we start to understand God Almighty is ultimately in charge, and he totally loves you, and he's pouring it on in your life, and he's calling you to holiness, and he's changing you in the midst so that you can see those changes in your life, and ultimately in the end, he will also hold us accountable for the whole of that understanding, and we will stand with a healthy fear before our God. We will grasp with raw, raw awe and reverence. This, this passion in your soul that stirs for him to get what he is due. Man, that's what it's all about. See, all too often, we think of fear where it's like, what am I going to get? But this is all about, God, you should get what you deserve. I, I, I don't deserve. You deserve. And, and so we long for him and his authority, his power, his position, and his love for us to be rightly placed. Paul's like, knowing the fear of the Lord, I've got these things grasped. He says, we persuade others. Like, we guide them and we cheerlead them. That's what persuading is, right? You're like, here's where you need to go. This is what it's going to look like. And come on, man, you can do this. And Right? There's a guiding and a cheerleading along the way. He's like, we will persuade, we will cheerlead and direct others to get to Jesus Christ with all they've got. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. He's like, let me make this clear. When we stand up and persuade in this way, a lot of people aren't really fans of it. They don't really like hearing about it, and they kind of want to stand against us. And uh, Paul's like, so we persuade others, and sometimes they don't get real happy with that, but what we are is known to God. 
right? He's like, hear me, my heart before my God, I am worshiping and serving him. And no matter who stands against me, I stand with my God. Man, are you in on that? Do you understand what it means to not wake up in the morning and say, boy, I really hope they like me today, right? It's so easy, isn't it? Man, I'm getting ready for work and I got this thing I got to do and I really hope that they respect and understand. Boy, I hope they think, right? When really the best move we can make is to be waking up in the morning and say, God, I give this life to you with all I've got. And whatever you call me to stand for, I stand for. And wherever you call me to stand for that, I will. May I be bold and brazen in this world to show you off. And all of God's people said, and that's what he's saying. Lord, may I first and foremost be all about you. May my heart be understood by you. Paul's like, we're true to him, man. We are known to God. And I hope, he's like, uh, I really, really am counting on this to be true. But you're going to have to answer it for yourselves. I hope it is known also to your conscience. My longing is that deep within you, you can see where my heart is for God and you can see what's going on. A conscience. Each of us is built with a conscience. When we are conceived, we have this conscience built into our soul where we grasp right and wrong. It's a moral compass built into us. And let's be honest, a conscience before Christ can be pretty broken. There's times where we're like, that's right, this is wrong, and it's completely the opposite, right? Our, our conscience often gets mixed up with selfish desires, and it kind of comes along a path. And as you come to know Christ as Savior, as he changes you one degree of glory at a time, your conscience is also being transformed. He's showing you his greatness and his love and his power and his purpose, and Paul's like, boy, I hope you've come along the path a bit so that you can agree with God on where I'm at on this, and that my conscience, or that your conscience is actually um, being able to reflect on our heart and see where we're at. And uh, Paul's like, man, we're taking a stand for Jesus Christ, and it may cost us. It may even cost us you. I hope not. That's what he's saying. And, um, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again. We are not commending ourselves to you. We are not showing off. I'm not trying to say this so that you think I'm awesome, right? This is Paul talking, and he's like, I just want to make this clear. I'm not trying to say these things about God knows me and all that stuff so that you think, man, that Paul, he's an awesome guy. Like, everybody say, not that. Right? He's not trying to commend himself before them. Notice it also has the word again in there. Again. What's he talking about? Well, back at the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, he started out by saying, we're not just peddlers of the gospel. We're not doing this to draw attention to ourselves. I'm not commending ourselves to you. Now he's like, and I'm not commending ourselves again, right? He's like, I know I've sort of talked about myself twice now, and seriously, I'm not bragging on me here, and I want to make this clear while I am bringing up some things about us, I'm trying to make it super clear to you where our heart is with God. Please hear me. It is utterly essential that your heart be passionate about pursuing your God and celebrating your God with all you've got. Don't just measure the externals. 
is the action writer, Ron. What's going on in the soul? What's the motivation behind it all? Where's your heart? Are you looking for God to be glorified or are you in the end doing a, hey, it's not wrong to do this. And man, when I do, will they think I'm awesome, right? Well, you, are you having a little bit of that going on where there's some of you kind of going, I can't wait for them to see me accomplish this. Man, please set that down. Do not commend yourselves before men or look for them to even approve of. Long for your God to approve. Long for him to know of your heart and know of what you're doing and see the worship going on and that you're making much of him. He said, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Now, for those of you who just read quickly, you're like, I thought he was trying not to brag. He's like, no, I'm going to get you to brag for me. And uh, that's not what it really means here. He's like, cause for you to boast about us. Notice the next part, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He's like, let's make this super, super clear. I'm not trying to brag and boast about me. That's not what it is at all. And in fact, I'm trying to make clear to you where our heart is so that when people who judge the exterior come and say, look at these guys, man, you can say, dude, look inside. Check what's going on in the soul. Look how they stand for Jesus Christ, no matter what. He's like, hear me, man. I'm trying to help you take a stand here. And the people you're battling with, well, they're skilled at looking at the outward appearance. And uh, that is the world, right? The world always looks at the outward appearance. I'm just going to be really direct, okay? Super direct here. May the church never ever take on the world's view towards outward appearance. And all of God's people said, man, I'm telling you, I have been in and around organizational talk that goes like this. The best senior pastor is the guy who's taller than six foot five. If he could throw a football 75 yards in the NFL, then maybe he's the best pastor we could get, right? That guy can bench 340. He should probably be a pastor. And please hear me on this, man. I'm not kidding when I say this. There are a lot of churches and a lot of leadership that goes for looking for outward appearances. And in case you haven't noticed, I am not six foot five. I cannot throw a football 75 yards, and I'm not even close to benching 350 pounds, right? The reality, God tends to use what's going on in the heart, and may we long to put ourselves before him and say, God, let's not look at the outside, let's look on the inside, and I'm ready for you to do a work. I'm handing myself to you. May you rock my world, and may I worship you all the more. That's our call. Are you in? Heart in. Forget about the outside. And all of God's people said, now please hear me, it's not wrong to take care of your bodies. It's not wrong to be able to manage yourself in a way where you're honoring God. This is the temple of God. I'm great with all those statements. But when the thing is measuring the outside only, we have a huge problem. Okay? And uh, may we look to the heart. And uh, he says... Look, man, they boast on the outward appearance. They literally celebrate what is physical. We celebrate what is spiritual. 
We celebrate what God is doing deep in the soul. And uh, that is what is in the heart. You know, there was a woman named Joey, uh, World War II. She was a Filipino. And uh, she actually uh, was behind enemy lines in Japanese uh, territory for a number of years, about three years. And uh, she was going around and she was getting actually secret information about where the Japanese were located and what they were doing with their military. And she was bringing it back out to the U.S. military. She was a spy. And uh, she ended up doing this uh, by putting secret notes like in her hair ribbon. She would write it on the ribbon and then tie her hair and uh, they would not check the ribbon. Or she ended up carrying some papers out one time rolled them up really tight and ended up shoving it inside of a piece of fruit and carrying out some fruit or that kind of thing. She brought information out to the U.S. military to help them actually fight the war against Japan. And, uh, you know, they never bothered with her. Why? Well, in 1941, she ended up uh, coming down with leprosy for a season there. And uh, while she had leprosy, it ended up marring and scarring her skin, especially her face. And... Um, she ended up having some pretty horrific marks left over from that battle. And so as she walked around, they tended to look at the outward appearance and just back away and say, this one is nothing. Let them buy. And in fact, she was bringing extremely important information about the war out. And man, they were looking on the outward appearance and they were missing the heart the heart of courage, the heart of focus, the heart of purpose as she went into battle and she had a heart that was all about doing what was right. And man, I'm just telling you, this world looks at the outward appearance too much. May we look at the heart. Hear me, at the end of it, in 1948, after the war was done, they ended up bringing her to San Francisco. And as she got off the boat in San Francisco, there was um, like 300 to 400 military that had lined up, there was a band playing, and they celebrated her, and they made much of her heart. And when they asked her afterwards what she thought in broken English, she said, this was way more than I ever deserved or expected, right? Heart. She was doing it for all the right reasons. She wasn't doing it in the end for what she might get out of it personally. And Paul's like, I just want you to know, I'm in this for the heart of it. I long for the worship in it. I'm in. May Jesus Christ get all the glory. Simple question. How's your heart? How are you doing at worshiping? Day by day, moment by moment. I mean, even the simple, man, let's get real. How are you at coming to church, not to say, well, at least they'll see me at church and they'll know that I've got something going on. But they're like, I'm coming to this service to make sure Christ gets my all. I'm in. It isn't about the external. It's about what's going on in here. How are you doing with that? And measure that. You'll know because when things tend to get you a little bit ticked off, it's touching closer to home. And so kind of watch where you're at with attention and motivations and watch how God's speaking to your soul. May you hand it all to him. And all of God's people said, heart. If we're going to live for Jesus Christ, we have to have a heart of worship. Number two, Christ's love is our fuel and guide. Live sacrificially for Christ. 
Christ's love is our fuel and guide. Live sacrificially for Christ. It says here, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. If we are beside ourselves, literally, if we are, and then in the original language, out of ourselves or out of our mind. If we're out of our mind, it's for God. Look, man, the things I'm saying and the things I'm proclaiming, these are all about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And while the world may not get the greatness of Jesus, I do. And I will say it and proclaim it with all I've got. And if they think I'm out of my mind because of it, oh, well, God will get the glory. That's what it looks like. He's like, if I'm going to say the things that are supernatural and this natural world doesn't get, well, just so you know, that's all for God. And... Uh, Man, if we are in our right mind, if we are coming alongside and caring for you and taking care of you and giving you practical assist, it is for you. Notice in Paul's statement, it is for God and it is for others. He is not in ministry for himself. And that's a huge deal. Man, if we're going to walk this walk for Jesus Christ, it is not, I can't wait to have the respect. I can't wait to have people think. I can't wait to have them see about me. It isn't that. He's like, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you, and I'm here for my God. And uh, what were the two commandments that Christ gave? Love the Lord your God, and then love others. And that's all he's saying. He's like, I'm living out the two commands, man, and I'm making it clear. It's for God, and it's for others. And he says, for the love of Christ controls me. Well, those are two interesting words in the same sentence, isn't it? Love and control, right? It doesn't sound like they really go together. And just so you know, the word control there may be better translated as compels or impels. It, it somehow comes into our life. It shows us the greatness of Jesus Christ and it causes us, it stirs us, it moves us, right? It's not like we think of the word control like I don't want to, but it makes me anyway, right? This is more like comes into your soul and makes super clear the greatness of Jesus Christ so your soul turns towards him. You long to come to him. It's compelling you. It's pulling you. It's wooing you. It's bringing you along a path. And the love of Christ. And uh, In what way the love of Christ? Well, he describes it right after it. The love of Christ, though, is sacrificial. The love of Christ is that he thinks about you even before himself. The love of Christ is that it costs him greatly, but he's in because it benefits you. Jesus Christ, he loves you. The love of Christ controls me or compels me because we have concluded this, here's the love of Christ on display, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. He says that one had died for all. Remember in the Old Testament, there was the sacrifice going on of animals, right? And for each sin, there was an animal sacrificed. For each person, there was an animal sacrificed. And it was an animal for a guy and an animal for his sin over and over and over and over. And tons and tons of animals sacrificed to try to represent the coverage of this sin in some way. And and he's like, just so you know, new plan. One died for all. That is a huge thunderous statement. One died for all. Jesus Christ, 
He is the hope for all of mankind. And all of God's people said, man, this is huge. We got to grasp this. One died for all. No longer am I wrestling around with trying to get my life square and trying to find an animal that I can sacrifice today and whatever the Old Testament would have called out. Now my hope is Jesus Christ. Him for me. It's that simple. The love of Jesus Christ is that him for me. One died for all. Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and paid what you owe and rose again from the dead, offering up life. Jesus Christ, him giving what I do not deserve. Man, the deal is we often don't dig deep enough in our own sin, and we need to. We need to dig deep and figure out where we're at and what needs to go. And the more we recognize what has to go and the grave cost in my own life of that sin, the more we realize how much Christ loved us. He died for me while I was still in my sin. Right? How often would we, we'd be like, dude, I'll die for you, but you got to get out of that. Right? You're like, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'll offer something up, but you got to fix that, man. Are you going to get that square? Because then maybe I'll, right? And Christ died offering up for you and for me while we were yet sinners. That is our hope. And um, it says he died for all. And some will say that means all believers. And some will say that means all man. And, and look, man, whichever way you want to go with this, note this. Him for me. I have no hope but Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, I have no hope but Jesus Christ. He is my everything. And it says, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Please note, in the beginning, we have this death made available. But in the end here, we have death applied, and it brings life. It says, for those who live. In fact, that's in the original language, the word zoe, eternal life. For those who have eternal life and are eternally living, they are saved they are Jesus Christ. They are called to him. They have been adopted. They are guaranteed forever, eternity. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. But for him who for their sake. Everybody just say, he loves me. For their sake, he died and rose again. Jesus Christ. And he loves you with all he's got. And he died for your sake. And he rose again for your sake. Our call is simply this. Do not live for yourself. Live for him. That's what it says here, right? That we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And how are you doing with living for Jesus Christ? How are you doing at making sure that the glory in your life is all pointing to him? Man, may your heart be on fire for making much of him. And may your life be centered up on pointing to him. May he get all the glory. That's our goal. That's our job. That's our responsibility. That is our privilege to live for Jesus Christ. Christ. Him for me. Everybody say him for me. So now me for him. Everybody say now me for him. 
now me for him. And that's what it looks like.